Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the good news that Christ proclaims to sinners, to us. I invite you to bow your heads in prayer. I'll pray first, and then I invite you to join me in praying together the Lord's Prayer. So first listen, and then join me. God in heaven, we are thankful for the ministry of Jesus, for his work on our behalf. And yet, Lord, we, we need to hear your word with clarity. And so I ask that you would speak through me as, as, we teach, as I teach your word, that we would be quick to listen. Lord, for those of us who have come in with, with rebellion in our hearts, with, with continuing sin in our lives, even though we call ourselves followers of you, Lord, expose our sinfulness. Let us turn from sin. Lord, for others who, who consider ourselves followers of Christ and yet, And yet we have sin that is hidden even from us. Lord, do the work of shining the light of your word into the recesses of our heart so that we would see who we are. Lord, for those who have joined us today, who wonder, who doubt if you can be the God who speaks, the God who answers, who who wonder if Jesus really is your son, if Jesus really is a savior. Lord, to those who, who question and doubt, let them find hope and truth in your word. Lord, we come, all of us, in desperate need of your grace. And so we ask that you would work in us, work through our ministries here as a church, work in our lives. Lord, that you would challenge us. We want to see your your kingdom shown here on earth. And so, Lord, we come praying as Jesus taught his disciples. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It was a simple request, but it was a request that changed Eric Little's life. In the spring of 1923, a a year before Little won gold at the Paris Olympics, the events which inspired the award-winning film Chariots of Fire, the year before that took place, Little was already the best-known athlete in Scotland. As the son of missionaries, he'd been taught the truths of Christ, but he'd never been asked to make a public stand. He didn't mind the attention of 40,000 rugby fans screaming his name. But he was terrified to stand up in front of 
a room filled with 40 people. And that's why this request from the Glasgow Students Evangelistic Association to speak in an upcoming two-week Christian campaign, to share the gospel, to stand and proclaim his faith in Christ, this was a turning point for Eric. When he asked to speak, Eric paused, and then he said, all right, I'll do it. Later, looking back on, the, on this moment, Little described that, that he realized that it was Christ who was calling him. That Christ was the one asking him to, to follow me, to make his faith public. This is what Little said. In this experience of Christ, there was a sense of sin, but that was not nearly so great as the sense of being called to do a piece of work for which I was absolutely unqualified. But at this time, I finally decided to put it all of Christ. After all, if he called me to do it, then he would have to supply the necessary power. When Jesus calls, we follow. When Jesus called Eric Little to proclaim the gospel, that's what he was willing to do. He was willing to follow. That's the message that Mark is is teaching us in this encounter of Jesus with Levi, a tax collector. When Jesus calls, we follow. We see here the loving initiative in Mark's gospel of Jesus. Jesus is the sovereign Lord, the one who who enters into Levi's life and commands him, but he is a gracious and merciful Lord. Look with me again at at the the words here in in Mark chapter 2, verse 13. Jesus is there beside the lake. A large crowd has come to him, and he began to teach them. He's teaching. This is the ministry of Jesus. We've already seen that his his ministry is a message of repentance. He's describing the kingdom of God is, is here, and it's at hand. And so repent and believe the good news. And Jesus, in in this teaching ministry, then gives a a visible example to the people watching of what it looks like to respond to Jesus. Verse 13 ends that Jesus began to teach them, which means verse 14 is part of his teaching. Look there in verse 14. "As, As Jesus walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me. Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. This is the, the initiative of, of Jesus to call Levi. It's similar to what we, what we saw back in chapter 1. When Jesus is there along the Sea of Galilee, he sees Simon and his brother Andrew, and he says, come, follow me. And we're told at once they left their nets and followed Jesus. It's, it's the same thing that happened there in chapter 1 when, when he saw James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and he says, follow me. And they, they left behind their father and the hired men and they followed Jesus. But in those calls, which are parallel to the call of Levi here, there wasn't any controversy which followed. See, because Simon and Andrew, James and John, they were good Jewish boys in the synagogue week after week. These were the kind of men, these hardworking men, pillars of the community, the salt of the earth that you would want if you were a religious leader, if you were a rabbi. Those are the kind of men you would want to follow you. Not Levi. Levi is sitting in the tax collector's booth. Now this isn't the kind of little bit of of discomfort you might feel when you find out someone works for the IRS and you, you sweat a little. No, this is 
a tax collector. Because remember the, the context. For whom is he collecting taxes? He's not collecting taxes for the temple. He's not collecting taxes for the town. He is collecting taxes for the imperial Roman army, the occupiers of the people of God, the occupiers of land. He has decided to collaborate with the enemy. He is a tax collector. He's probably become wonderfully rich doing so. But in so doing, we know he is not a good Jewish boy. He is probably not in the synagogue at all. Because he has turned his back on his people. He has chosen wealth and prosperity over obedience to God, over faithfulness to, his, to the people that live there in the city with him. And so when Jesus goes to have dinner with him, controversy erupts. Jesus has been staying at Peter's house. There's no controversy. Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. There's no controversy. But Jesus has a meal with Levi and controversy erupts. We see it in verse 15. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Controversy. Jesus has been willing to, to associate himself with, with these kind of people. And, and even the way Mark describes it to us, he just says over and over again, tax collectors and sinners, tax collectors and sinners, sinners and tax collectors. Jesus has associated with them. Those are the kind of people that Jesus is following. But do you see that this is, this is not a mere miscalculation on Jesus' part, where he realizes now in the midst of his campaign, oh, I didn't realize this was going to play this way you know what, I should probably stop associating myself with these kind of people. I should, I should probably spend more time with the, the Simons and the, the Andrews of the world. I should probably get back to the synagogue. No, Jesus doesn't, doesn't take the confrontation and say, well, you know, you kind of have a point. When I look at this group of people following me, they're, they're really a wretched mess. This horrible group of tax collectors and sinners. I should make some changes. That's not what Jesus does. What does Jesus do? He actually says, this is the exact reason I came. This is my mission. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now that is good news. Because which group of people are we among? We are among the sinners. We are those who are desperate in need. We are those who, yes, I've, I've never conspired with an occupying army to, to, to take money from people, but I have conspired against the king of the universe as a traitor in my heart and rebelled against him. I've never turned my back on the, the religious establishment and the people around me, but I have turned my back on God in my rebellion. And so when Jesus announces that his purpose is to come and call sinners. That is good news for us. And so yes, Jesus will hear the murmurings, the complaints of the people, the, the complaints of the religious leaders. I mean, they, they see the crowd. They, they, don't even, they can't even get to Jesus. I mean, it's not that they're being polite when they ask his disciples of, you know, it might be offensive if we ask Jesus while he's here. No, they just can't even get in to, 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 to Jesus. The, the party is so big. The, the crowd is so festive. They can't get to Jesus. And so they just start shouting it from outside the room. 
Why would you be here with sinners? Why would you identify with, with tax collectors? Jesus, why would you defile yourself in this way? And Jesus announces to them, this is why I have come. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus is the friend of sinners. This week I, I read an update from our missionaries in Bulgaria, Dal and Beth Stanton. They serve there in, in Eastern Europe, and, and one of the things that they have identified during their years of ministry there is the danger and the horror of, of sex trafficking that comes through Eastern Europe, through Bulgaria in particular. And so they've launched a ministry which they call Daughters of Bulgaria, where they are working to, to proclaim the gospel to women who are, who are caught in prostitution, who have been forced into prostitution, and to provide a pathway out for them when they come to understand the hope of the gospel. And so recently on a, on a ministry to these women of the night, these prostitutes, Dow's task is just to drive the vehicle. He doesn't even get out of the vehicle. It's the, the women on the team who get out and minister to these women of the street. And Dow has one job. He's, he's really there to kind of chauffeur them back and forth and really to call for help if something goes wrong, but he just stays in the car. But he said on, on this visit, he, he made a mistake. He turned off the engine, but he left the lights and blinkers on. And so when it was time for them to go, we all now know what the problem was. The car wouldn't start. The battery was dead. And so Dow went to pick up his phone to start to call for help. And he says the, the four or five daughters who were standing there visiting with our ladies, they became aware of the need. And one of them came up to his window. He calls her T. She said, don't worry, they would push the car to, to jumpstart this standard transmission. And this is what he says. As long as I live, I will never forget the joyful helping looks of these daughters in my rearview mirror. As they pushed my minivan down the street, high heels and all. They came to my rescue that night. But then this is his prayer. Lord Jesus, come to their rescue. Because he concludes the, the email update with, with these words, Jesus is the friend of sinners. Why would missionaries be there on that street? Nothing good will happen there. This is the place where sinners gather. And so this is the place where Jesus will be. And so if we follow Jesus, we will go to these places. Yes, we, mu we must do so with wisdom. Dow stays in the car. The women are trained to minister to these prostitutes. They, they recognize the difficulties, the long path that will lie ahead for these women, even if they come to faith in Christ, of rehabilitating their lives, of, of finding hope and rescue in the church. But we must go to the place where sinners are. Jesus is not offended by the complaints that he is there with sinners and tax collectors. His answer is, of course I am. Where else would you expect to find me with the hope of the gospel? Where else would we expect Jesus to be? He is right where he is meant to be, with sinners, with tax collectors. And so when Jesus calls, we follow. When Jesus calls, we follow to serve the daughters of Bulgaria. When Jesus calls, we follow after him. We see the work of Jesus Christ. But we, we, notice, we notice in this passage then that, that there are real dangers to us. Because when Jesus gives us his mission, that he's not come to call the righteous, but sinners, 
Well, we see how this is immediately an affront to the teachers of law, the Pharisees. We see that it's challenging their definition of righteousness. Because they're under the assumption that, well, Jesus, we are among the righteous. They are the sinners. Now, in the Gospels, the the Pharisees are, are rightly condemned by Jesus over and over again for their failure to understand the Gospel. But because of his quick condemnation of them, we actually can miss the their bold passion for holiness. These were the most devout, the most religious, the most committed people of the day. They were so committed to God's holiness that they decided, okay, we've got God's commands written in his word, but in order to protect those commands, to make sure we don't ever break those commands, let's build some barriers, let's build some fences, let's build some hedges around those. And so they added commands. So that even if you broke one of these outer commands that they had added, you still wouldn't be close to breaking God's command. But then they started to hold people to that standard. If you break this command, then you're no longer holy. If you break our rules, then you're no longer holy. And they started to exalt themselves as those who were righteous. Because their question is, why would Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? Is really saying, why won't Jesus come spend his time among the righteous? Among us. See, the Pharisees had the expectation that if they, could, if they could obey these laws, if they could go through the religious rituals, then they would find themselves among the righteous. They could, they could make themselves holy and righteous. The Pharisees had the expectation that, that God was going to intervene in history, that God was going to act in the story of his people. He was going to see the righteousness of the people and come to defend them. God would see their righteousness. He would overthrow Rome and Levi and and the tax collectors would get swept away with all of the unrighteous. That was their expectation. So their pursuit of holiness is not wrong. It's their method. Their, Their end goal of being holy before God is not wrong. It's the fact that they thought they could get themselves there. It's that they in their arrogance pointed their fingers at the tax collectors, the sinners, and saw themselves as righteous. And so if you've ever been frustrated with with people in your life that are Christians, who don't seem to to live up to standards and yet have this holier-than-thou, this righteous, this self-righteous demeanor, if you've ever been frustrated by that, well, then Jesus is on your side. Jesus is calling out that kind of self-righteousness. But, but you may have be tempted when you see the self-righteous attitudes of people who call themselves followers of Jesus, you may just be tempted to throw it all out. To say, well, it can't be true because of these Christians. No, what you need to do is not, not discard all of it, but come to Jesus to find his answer. He condemns self-righteousness, but he offers his own righteousness. He calls sinners. He invites all of us to humble ourselves. And so self-righteousness is not a a real understanding, a proper understanding of what it means to follow Christ. Because the starting point is admitting that we are sinners. But there's also a, a danger in this passage. The contrast is set between the Pharisees and the tax collectors and sinners. There's also a danger for the, the sinners, for men like Levi, who have abandoned any semblance of even trying to be holy. No, I'm not, I'm not even going to try anymore. I'm not, I'm not going to try and live up to God's standards. If there's a God... I just don't care. And maybe there's no God at all. And so somebody like Levi who could, who could gain um, immense wealth because he has the power of the imperial Roman army behind him. And so he can get from you whatever amount he, 
wants for himself. So he's probably chosen a life of pleasure and comfort over a life of obedience. And so we can see the contrast. We can, we can see the contrast between the, the, the self-righteous Pharisee who says, look, I'm, I'm keeping all of the commandments. But you know what? As neighbors, they're not throwing parties at three in the morning. They're keeping their, their house in order. They're paying taxes. They're showing up at synagogue. See, from, from an outward perspective, the, the Pharisee looks like he has it all together. <laughs> the tax collectors, I mean, their parties, their drunken parties last into the night. They're clearly not following God. They're, they're doing their own thing. But in the end, both are essentially saying the same thing. It's obvious in Levi's life, God, I don't want anything to do with you. I'm doing it my own way. That's obvious in Levi's life. But that's the same thing the Pharisees are doing. God, I don't want anything to do with you. I will do it my own way. Yes, somewhere deep down in here, there are probably some kernels of truth left over from the Old Testament. But God, I know a better way to live. I know better than you how I should live. And you know what? If I do it, then God, you owe me. I am the righteous. You should step in and intervene. You should get rid of those kind of people. And so we see the, the selfishness of Levi. We see the self-righteousness of the Pharisees. And yet we might still be tempted not to put ourselves in the categories of, of tax collectors, of sinners, not to see ourselves among the daughters of Bulgaria on the, on the streets at night, but to see ourselves as the disciples, as those who have now answered the call. They hear Jesus say, I have come to call sinners, and they have responded. And so that's the appropriate starting point, a humble admission that I am a sinner. I need to turn and follow Christ. But the problem is their hearts work the same way that the Pharisees' hearts work. They can quickly presume upon their own status. They're disciples of Jesus. They're in his inner circle. Later in Mark's gospel, Jesus will catch his disciples as they're walking along the road, arguing which of them is the greatest and who should sit at his right hand when his kingdom is revealed. They're presuming upon their position as disciples. That's the same heart attitude. That's the same selfishness. That's the same arrogance and self-righteousness as the Pharisees. You see, the problem here is every one of us falls into the category of tax collectors and sinners. Every one of us. And yet, Jesus has chosen to identify himself with the sinners. He's here in Levi's house. Levi, it seems, is throwing an extravagant party. So many are invited that, that the, the Pharisees, they can't even get into the room to confront Jesus. The, the crowd is great because many are following after Jesus. Many of these sinners have now turned to follow after Jesus. And yet Jesus, in coming to, to share this meal, he's broken all of the man-made rules that the Pharisees established. I mean, there are religious rituals that are meant to keep the, the Old Testament people of God pure, ceremonially clean, so that they can come into the temple to worship. The Pharisees have added all kinds of rules around it. Rules like, don't ever go to the house of a Gentile. Don't ever go and eat a meal with even somebody who's Jewish. Levi's obviously Jewish. That's clearly a Jewish name. I mean, it's one of the tribes. So Levi is clearly Jewish. But you don't even go to, to a Jewish house where the guy's no longer actually following. See, if he's not keeping kosher rules, if he's not keeping boundaries 
and keeping those Gentiles and sinners out, then you can't even go to his house. Those are rules that, that the Pharisees added. And Jesus says, your rules are nonsense. Your rules don't get at the heart of what the gospel is. Your rules don't get at the heart of what it means to come before God and bring a sacrifice to the temple. And Jesus steps in to the midst and says, I will put my, myself at the, in the, at the table with sinners. I will culturally identify myself with them. Because sharing a table in the ancient world meant sharing your life together. It had religious and cultural and, and relational significance, even greater than, than, than it would in our culture today. But Jesus is making clear that the Pharisees thought he would be corrupted just by sitting at the table, that their sin, their guilt would transfer to Jesus. And Jesus says, that's not how it works. I'm not ceremonially corrupted. And yet Jesus, in choosing to identify himself with sinners, does more than make himself ceremonially unclean. Because Jesus in the Gospel of Mark does more than sit down at Levi's table. Jesus in this Gospel will put himself on the cross to bear Levi's sins. Jesus will identify himself with sinners such that it is right when the passers-by declare him to be a sinner. It's right when God in his judgment looks upon Jesus as a sinner, one who bears the sins of his people. Jesus dies in the place of sinners. He dies in Levi's place. Jesus dies in Simon's place. Jesus dies in Andrew's place and in James's place and in John's place and in Kevin's place. Jesus Christ identifies himself with sinners. And that is good news. Good news that the Savior was not afraid of the self-righteous condemnation. The Savior was not afraid to, to take my sin upon himself. And that the Savior then, in turn, gives me his righteousness. His right standing with God. I am declared to be holy and without sin because of the sacrifice of my Savior. So Jesus has not come to call the righteous, but he has come to make us righteous. Jesus has not come to call the righteous, but he's come to call sinners and to die in the place of sinners. And so when Jesus calls, we follow. And so you may be sitting here and listening to this. If you're a child, you may be, be here, having been brought by your parents. And yet you need to hear this call of Christ. You need to recognize your place as a sinner. To admit your sin to turn from sin, to repent and turn to Christ and find in him the forgiveness of sins. To find in his identification with you as a sinner forgiveness and righteousness that comes as a gift. Not something that you can earn. It's not self-righteousness. It is Christ's righteousness given to you. And so the call is on you now. Will you put your trust in Christ? Will you follow him? And once we have followed, once we have heard the, the call, once we have seen that Jesus is willing to die in the place of sinners, we must answer his call. To go as disciples, Jesus calls his apostles to follow after him. And we know that Levi in the New Testament goes not only by the name of Levi in, the, in this gospel and in the gospel of Luke, he goes by another name, Matthew. This Levi is Matthew the tax collector. Matthew the writer of the, the first 
gospel. Matthew, the, the apostle who is called to follow Jesus, each of the gospels lists him among the 12. He is one of the 12. The tax collector, the publican, the sinner becomes an apostle. The sinner is given the mission of taking the gospel to the nations. And so when, when Matthew hears the call, come follow me, he leaves everything behind for the sake of Christ. Because there is no other response possible. When you see the graciousness, you hear the love of Christ, you see it displayed in his death on the cross. When Jesus calls, we follow. The Academy Award-winning film, Chariots of Fire, ends with these words on the screen. Eric Little, missionary, died in occupied China at the end of World War II. All of Scotland mourned. That's the end of the movie. But in those few words is the real story of Eric Little. Shortly after winning the gold medal, worldwide fame for his incredible feat of, of winning the, the 400 meters, the gold, Little, in the months afterwards, begins his preparations to go and minister in China. He was born in China to missionary parents. And he said repeatedly throughout his life, God made me for China. Now in the movie, we hear him say, God made me fast. Well, that's the screenwriters. In life, he said, God made me for China. And so he went. He taught school. He preached the gospel. Biographers tell us that Eric was frequently at risk from both hostile communists and Chinese nationalists who were destroying villages, pillaging. And neither group was sympathetic to the work of Christian missionaries in their country. And then in 1940, the Japanese invaded China. Eric was able to send his pregnant wife and two daughters across the seas to live with family in Canada. He never met the third daughter. Because the situation in China deteriorated and Little was rounded up with other foreign missionaries and sent to a Japanese internment camp. There in North China, Eric and 1,800 other people, including many children, were crammed into a detainee camp measuring only 150 by 200 yards. 1,800 people packed together. Little organized sporting events. He taught school. He preached the gospel. He started Bible studies. He continued to minister. God had placed him here for this reason. It was here in the internment camp that Little died of a brain tumor he didn't know he even had. It was just months before the liberation of the camp and the end of the war. When Jesus called, Little followed. He left behind pleasure and fame to follow Christ. When Jesus called, Levi followed. He left behind his pleasure and wealth for the sake of the gospel. When Jesus calls, we follow. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we hear these words and they challenge us. 
because they challenge our, our self-righteousness, our, our way of living in this world without need for you. And so, Lord, for those who, who resist your call now, who don't want to humble themselves and admit their sinfulness, Lord, I pray that you would make clear the ministry and work of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Lord, that even now as we pray, you would soften hearts. You would expose sin so that those who listen would turn and put their trust in Christ. And Lord, for those of us that consider ourselves disciples, that consider ourselves followers of Jesus, Lord, let us live lives of bold faithfulness. Let us live lives in which we, which we forsake everything that is, that is here, that is ours now, and give it to you and invest it in your kingdom. And Lord, we pray today, even this evening as, as our missionaries in Bulgaria, Dal and Beth Stanton, go with the gospel to serve prostitutes on the streets of their city. Lord, protect them. Let them be bold in their witness. And Lord, we pray for gospel change and transformation in the hearts of these daughters of of Bulgaria. Lord, send us into the places where sinners gather. Send us so that we would, would identify ourselves with the weak and the hurting, the outcasts, the ostracized. Lord, let us minister in the name of our Savior, Jesus, who is the Christ. Lord, let his gospel flow through us as a church, through our ministries, through the missionaries we support. And Lord, send us. Let us follow you wherever you lead, wherever you call us. Lord, let us go. We hear the call of Jesus, and so we choose by your grace to follow. We rejoice in the grace that is ours in Christ. Amen.